Marshall, they got us back. Oh? Yeah. The Adobe gravitational pull is just too strong. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to episode 448 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, what do we got on the docket for this week? Beep, beep, beep. We got news desk. We're going to be talking about, well, first of all, Marshall, dude, I just heard the craziest thing today. Okay. Adobe is buying Figma. Oh, yeah. Wow. Have you heard this? No, this is brand new to me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna fill you in on all the details. Everyone listening, you better hold on to your pants because we're going to have some takes that you have not heard before. <laughs> Piping hot right off the stove. <laughs> Piping hot. Zero delay. <sighs> no, we're going to, we got news desk today. We're going to be talking about Figma Adobe. We're going to be talking about the new Figma beta variants. And we're going to be talking about that new HIG that dropped with the Dynamic Island. And we're going to switch on over to the sidebar and we're going to talk about the Dynamic Island some more, our uh, three-week review, two-week review, as well as uh, latest nits and picks on the iPhone 14 Pro and the AirPods Pro 2. So lots of device talk, Apple talk, and Figma talk today. Hope you like shiny toys and design tools. <laughs> I hope that's everybody listening. Yeah, yeah. as I'm saying it, I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's probably a pretty good chance that you like. Yeah, it's like, I hope you enjoy talking about software and craft and design. Otherwise, get out of here. Wrong (laughs) podcast for you. Jeez, gatekeeper. All right, let's do it. All right. We have some new very important pixels to welcome into the fam, Marshall. Ooh, hey. We have a very exciting list of very important pixels today. Uh, uh, Yeah. For reasons that should become apparent soon. All right. Huge shout outs to Catherine McConalog, Will, Martin Chudoba, Sheila, Tim Johnson, Nick Angiolillo, Charton Shumway, Oleg Frolov, Mark Stevenson, Nancy Tran, and last but not least, drum roll. <laughs> Welcome to the fam, Bryn Jackson. Bryn Jackson. <laughs> I know Bryn that name. Jackson. Know your history. And, you know, if you don't know that name, we got a huge backlog of episodes, that, <laughs> lots of interviews. If you don't know that name, might I invite you to listen to 256 hours of interviews? Uh huh. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyways, welcome everyone, one and all, to the fam. Thanks for supporting the show. Be sure to catch welcome. your first sidebar today and be sure you're get, digging into that backlog of sidebars at this point. Mm-hmm. I think well over 100 sidebars over on our Patreon.com. Hey. If you didn't know, we're a listener support podcast. It means that people like you, like you, dear listener, every single week, join us at Patreon. Patreon.com slash design details, where for just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. They support us and in exchange... Give you a sweet bonus content. We call it the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. It's an extra episode and extra content. This week, we're going to be talking about the iPhone 14 Pro, the Dynamic Island, our full review, and uh, the AirPods Pro 2. So if you want to hear device talk, Apple talk, Dynamic Island talk, this week's sidebar is for you. But of course, we've got a huge backlog of sidebars. And once you're a supporter, you'll get access to that bonus content every time we come out with a new episode. So that's it. Patreon.com slash design details. It's just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. All right. Okay, Marshall. So first up, I need you to explain something to me. I think today or yesterday, Figma announced a new beta variance with something like nested something or other. And as someone who just clearly is out of the loop on not only how to use Figma, but also design systems, stuff in general, can you explain what is going on? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
it's been a heads down week, Brian, but uh, I was having a conversation with a colleague. We're, We're talking about his design system and he clicked on one of the right side panel overflow things and it popped out this window and there's a big blue banner at the top. It had a toggle that was off and I saw a little beta batch and I was like, what, what is that? Are you in a experiment or something? Like what's, what's going on there? And he was like, I, I don't know. I haven't seen that before. And we went about our business. And later on that day, I went back to my own Figma, opened up a file, checked that same place. And sure enough, I had the banner as well. And I turned on the toggle and I clicked the learn more. And I was blown away by these things that I've wanted for a long time. So there are three things, Brian. First off, this is probably the the biggest one, is exposing nested instances. So if you have a component that contains other components, and those child components have their own variants with toggles and dropdowns and labels that you can change out, previously you would have to double-click into the parent component to change those child component variants. Now they're all exposed at the top level. So you only have to select the parent and everything is sectioned out in expandable sections below the parent level component properties. Okay. And it's great. You can opt into individual ones. So any child components that have variants will show up in a list with a checkbox next to them. You can choose which ones you want to include and which ones you don't. Um, I think that one goes along very well with the second thing, simplified instances. Before, when you select an instance, you would get all of the fill and stroke, alignment, all that stuff would be exposed to you, which means that you could change that stuff. And it also meant that the component properties that you want your designers or that you yourself, if you're making for yourself, you want them to, to adjust, they're kind of hidden in this big noise mess on the right side panel. So this hides all of that behind a simple button that says other properties or something like that. So you can still get to it, but by default, it's a very clean right side design panel. Do both of these sound like intriguing things for you? Uh, No, but honestly not because I don't think they sound useful. It's just I'm not sure I've ever gone this deep. And also I haven't really used Figma in earnest in almost three months. So Okay, let me give you a better example here. It it sounds to me like it saves a shit ton of like double clicking into stuff. Yeah, well, it's also, um, it does what it says, like exposes nested instances. Like if, if those things are however many levels down deep in the hierarchy, a designer who didn't create that component doesn't know that those things are there. So they might not go looking for them. Ah, yeah. But how, so, but then how does it, if you have a really complex component with lots of nested components, with lots of nested components, how do they manage that complexity of the interface there in the properties panel? Uh, good question. Okay, so each child component it has its own section below the parent's component properties. Each one of those sections has a little collapse triangle next to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can collapse those if you want to. I think they're expanded by default, but they're in order based on, I, I believe, the hierarchy or like the layer order within the component. So It works really well for auto layout things like if you have a bunch of tabs in a tab bar or chips in a chip bar, all of those can be exposed and you can set it up so that some things are hidden initially and they won't show up. So imagine your your default tab bar only has three tabs, but it has like eight tabs total and the last five are hidden. They won't show up in that design panel. They uh, will only show up if you toggle them on or or, or show them in the left side panel, assuming you have a a Boolean component property Mm -hmm. associated with them, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So 
uh, it really ties in with all the existing component properties that they've released with Boolean and text and swap. In addition to the last thing that I can I can talk about if you're interested, which is preferred yeah. instances. Okay. Imagine, if you will, let's stick on this list item example. If you have a relatively sophisticated list item component that can have a bunch of stuff in its guts. So let's say that the, the layout is relatively simple. You have a leading element, like an icon or an avatar, logo, something like that. You have a trailing element, like another icon or a label, a, a label, detail, chevron, any of these types of things, right? If you were to create permutations of every leading and trailing combination, it would explode really quickly. And yes. so you've always been able to swap out things, but you're open to the entire library, right? If I give you an icon and say, okay, well, here's a placeholder icon, but you can swap it out with it, whatever you want to, you could put like an 18 point icon into a 24 point icon frame. And that is an improper use, but the, the Figma would let you do that if you, if you tried to do it. Um, or it was very easy to do it if you just did like a search and there's like three different icons with the same name, just different sizes, and you don't look and click the wrong one. Now you've got something that is a, a off spec, right? So with preferred instances, when you're creating the component, you can say, for this leading icon, I only it's 24. I only want you to be able to choose from the list of 24 sized icons, right? You, I only want you to choose from this subset of all of the potential leading elements and all of the potential trailing elements for that for that trailing element thing, right? So a section header might want to use a lot of the same trailing elements for for the right side, right? There could be an overflow there. There could be like an icon or or a button or something, but. But a list item probably wouldn't have a button on the right side. You would use something else for that, right? So you can choose a subset of a larger set so that when you go to choose those things, the list is very obvious. All of these things are helping creators of design systems focus the usage of those components by users who shouldn't have to know shit about how they work. They should be able to just get it mm -hmm. and look at that right side thing and know, okay, here's all the things that I can change about this. And up until this release, that was relatively difficult. Like if you have a panel or something that has a header and a footer, but like the footer is optional and the header, each of those have like their own configurations within them. Like you might not know to do that. And like maybe there's light and dark, but people don't like do this stuff and they break it. It just ends up being a huge headache. So the more simplified that panel can be, the more focused on those specific curated controls that are provided to them, the, the better everybody will be off. Like not only yeah, are you yeah. happier building them, not only are you happy you're using them, but you know that they're being used correctly. Yeah, so yeah. this was a huge thing for me. I spent all weekend playing around with it, like going crazy on it. But um, now I fully understand it and I'm ready for the next sip of water I get from releases of new stuff in Figma. It seems like it's going to be tokens soon. I was seeing some sure conversation, so. like people begging for tokens and I saw Show, who's I believe VP of product at Figma, who's saying it's coming. He, in fact, he kind of apologized. He's like, sorry, I've been holding this up, I assume for some product like technical reason, but they're working on it. That's going to be huge, right? That seems like almost oh. the last meaningful unlock for design systems folks. Yeah. 
I, and I have no idea how they're going to do it, but I can't, I can't wait to see. <laughs> yeah. And actually, you yeah. know, do you mind if I, if I pick some nits, uh, before we move on to the next topic? Yeah. Okay. Marshall. All right. Do I mind? Come uh, on. Can I talk about those design details, Brian? Hey, Bri- hey, Brian, do you mind if I talk about design? <laughs> All right. Okay. So, yeah. Hit me. Hit me. Like I said, I, I, I use this stuff a lot and I ran into some issues. So one thing. In that panel example that I talked about earlier, the header and the footer are children. Now it's exposed. But the problem with that is like that header has a light and a dark theme and that footer has a light and a dark theme. But I don't really want people changing those because like the header and footer are never to be used on their own. They're only like subcomponents. They're, They're like a molecule within this larger component. So I want to be able to define that component, or that variant property within the variant so that I can clarify the difference between light and dark and choose those within the parent component that they're destined to live in. But I don't want that theme property exposed to the user because they could get into a situation where they have a light panel that's using a dark header and a light footer or something like that. But it's like, that's not how it's supposed to be. So I'd like the ability to exclude properties from exposure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in addition to like entire components, like that's good. This is a good start, but I want to be able to like narrow it down even further so that it's even more bulletproof, you know? Um, I found, uh, here's another thing. I found that when you get sufficiently complex with the structure of things, the properties don't always stay maintained. Also, like swapping between components, even if they have the exact same structure, like say I create a light button and a dark button as separate components for some reason, maybe there's like a ton of permutations that over, you know, close to a thousand and I don't want to reach the limit where I have the uh, Figma yells at me because the component's too big. Um, if I split those up, if I switch from a light button to a dark button and I've set up like the leading icon and the label and state and emphasis, all that stuff, I've, I've got it tweaked how I want it. If I switch over to a, another component, even if every single component property and layer name and everything is exactly the same, it will lose all of my changes. And sometimes it'll retain them. And when I turn stuff back on, it will be the right icon, but the original color that the icon came in rather than the color I applied to it, you know? So I don't know, it's not as seamless as I would hope. Like the power that this seems like it will unlock isn't actually as bug-free or um, as usable as Mm. I would hope it to be. Because like, Mm-hmm. I was still stuck making kind of big components. I was able to narrow down. Or here, so here's what it came down to. I've been talking about list items a lot because I was playing around with list items and um, and, and buttons. Uh, can you imagine? So the list item thing, I was able to get it to work, but only if I have a separate light list item and a separate dark list item. And that light list item has its own set of already light themed leading elements and trailing elements. And then the dark list item has a duplicated set of dark themed elements. So because if I were to switch back and forth between light and dark, those icons like would keep the light coloring and the dark theme and like it it would just not work right. So I was forced to split it up in a way that otherwise would be a really elegant two part component. But now it's like two one part components, if that makes sense. (sighs) This is so complicated, man. Yeah, this is the problem, right? Is like every control they add, it's like people want the ability to control the control, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, thanks for these new tools. Can I have more tools for my tools, please? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's actually funny. I was just watching the perfectly relevant XKCD. Uh-huh. And it was like, 
we've designed this mechanism that requires two keys to launch the nuclear bomb. And then the next frame is like, we've designed a system to make it easy for a single person to turn both keys at the same time. Uh And then the next frame is, we've invented a two key system for the thing that turns the two keys at the same time. It's like, we just stack controls on top of controls, just like going in circles and making our lives great. But then we've made it too easy to do things. Now we got to make it a little bit more friction for people. Well, I mean, I see it more as like you gave me an inch and now I want a mile kind of a thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. oh, th- you know, this is great. I'm, I'm so glad you gave it to me. I want more now, please. Thank you. I appreciate all the work you put into more, please. <laughs> this is the interesting thing, right? And like that is almost the definition of product market fit in my mind. It's like no matter how much stuff you make, customers just continue pulling more stuff out of you. Like every feature you make begets 50 more features. And that's a great spot to be in. Clearly Figma has product market fit. I guess all I'm saying is like the annoyance of users constantly asking for stuff is the price to pay for making something really, really useful. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same way about like when I watch game streamers, right? Like gamers are just notoriously complaining. Like every map sucks. Every weapon sucks. Every skin sucks. But they play the game for 10 hours a day, every single day, and they have a lot of fun doing it. But when you spend so much time using a thing that you love, it just becomes really easy to to hone in on the things that you don't love, which then just sounds like you're really sour about the whole thing, when in fact, that's not the case. Well, I think uh, the same uh, thing here, right? Yeah, the only reason that I'm able to pick all these nits is because I went deep, like I, I delved the depths of this this thing that they released like a few days ago, right? Like the, right. Se- the second I had an opportunity, I jumped in. I spent my weekend on it, right? Like trying to understand it. And I was thinking about this, like and we've talked about this before, but like jumping into Figma today would be really complicated because there's there's a lot of stuff in there now, right? They do a pretty good job of hiding the complexity behind overflows, whatever. But if you want it, it's there. And to learn it all from nothing would be a huge, it'd be like drinking from a fire hose. But because I've kept up with this stuff and as soon as they release something, I immediately check it out and try and understand it so that Okay, now I'm ready for the next sip of water you gave me. I even used that terminology earlier because that's kind of it's been yeah. on my mind. It's like this is a lot easier to digest when I've already digested everything else that you've given me. It's like okay, uh-huh. one one little extra like three little bullet points to add to my list of things that I understand about this program. Yeah. Anyways, that was the Anyways. Figma stuff. Cool. Maybe the other small piece of news, I don't know how much we have to talk about here, but Apple released the HIG for live activities aka the dynamic island. Mm-hmm. But it's not really, right? Like it's live activities is a thing. And the right. dynamic island is the place in which live activities can do, be displayed in addition to the lock screen. And as we've learned today, live activities are now a thing that can also be shown on, on phones without the dynamic island. Uh, and the way that will work is the same way that Apple Maps directions work on the phone, where it'll show a black bar at the top, like a big floating black bar at the top, even if you have a phone with a notch. Um, I guess I, I skimmed through the HIG for live activities and I guess the dynamic island is fine. Nothing too surprising. It's always nice to see the terminology for things that they use. Like uh, there's compact, minimal, and expanded. Fine. Two things that were interesting for me. One, this might be the first time that I've seen them use 
0.33 and 0.67 yes. in an actual spec. Oh my gosh. Okay, link in the which show Which is notes. really... <laughs> it looks broken, but <laughs> when you realize like they actually have control... Anyways, I don't pixels. even know how to describe this. Like It yeah. says the compact leading size is 52.33 by 36.67. Like... We've complained about 17s in the past. We've complained about 19s in the past. Uh-huh. Now we got to complain about 62.33 and 52.33 and 36.67. It's really funny. I mean, but when you know that it's on a 3X display, right. it maps to physical pixels correctly. Yes. But not not uh, points, right? Yeah, but still, how, how do you land there? How do you get <laughs> like, there? Why not just go up a little bit? Is it is it because of the physical size of Dude, the... Dude, I think it's because they want the insect like corner radius to be perfectly concentric. And the only way to do it mathematically is to, like you end up at these weird-ass numbers to have the same space on the left, the right, and the top and have your corner radius be concentric. It's, that's the only reason I can think of why you'd end up at these crazy ass numbers because these are calculated, right? Otherwise, you'd just fudge it down from fifty two point three three to fifty two, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thirty six. Fifty two by thirty six. Sixty four by thirty six. Okay. Sure. Fine. Uh, yeah. Well. Yeah. So I mean, this has to be driven by hardware, right? Like it, this has to be the physical island size, right? Like the actual <laughs> cutouts. Island size. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And and the whatever can whatever radius the device corners are in the top right all of that plays into the position of this thing the height of it so yeah my guess is they were able to like predict down to the sub pixel exactly how tall the dynamic island cutout hole is going to be and that just uh-huh. turns out that it's 36.67 pixels tall uh-huh. or well it turns out that it's what i guess that hold on let me do some quick maths hold on 110 pixels, like physical pixels tall, which is a nicer rounder number. That's a, it's on a 10. That's a more Apple-y number. Yeah. Do you think they work uh, at 3X? Do you think they're designing uh, at 1X? No or? way. It'd be enormous. That'd be crazy. But maybe they it, do. It'd be pixel perfect. Like you could Figma mirror really nicely. It would be pixel perfect. I mean, I designed at 1X and typed 0.67 into my mocks. Yeah, I know. If you do a 0.33, it'll be a hairline. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I just well, don't anyways. like all those decimals in my in <laughs> It my just XY. doesn't look good. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. What okay. else? Uh, I was going to call out one more thing from this, but I think I already forgot. Maybe that was the only thing. Oh, oh. <laughs> Best practices. Uh, avoid using a live activity to display ads or promotions. I am going to count the minutes until somebody <laughs> breaks that rule. Yeah. I'm looking at Lyft. I'm looking at Uber. I'm looking mm. at DoorDash. I'm looking at Apple. Apple. We should maybe consider placing a bet here. My bet is that in the next year, Apple will use the Dynamic Island to either upsell Apple Arcade, iCloud One, or some other subscription. <laughs> they're gonna use it, or, or they're gonna use it for, to like let you know that your your device is ready for a, a yearly upgrade. Like they can't help themselves; they just can't help themselves. Apple's gotten so carried away, putting their own ads all over the interface, sending push notifications for stuff. Uh, I'm talking about the settings interface, but I don't know. Okay, okay, okay. So what's the bet? The reason I'm willing to take this The reason that I'm so negative against this is because they have the exact same thing in the Hague for push notifications. They break their own rules for that, and every single app breaks the rules for that. It is a tragedy of the commons. 
We just can't help ourselves. If there's a goddamn rectangle, we're putting an ad in it. So help us God. So that's my bet is that Apple will abuse the live activity to send somebody an ad within the next year. Okay. I think I will take you up on that bet. What's, what's, okay. what, what are we waiting right. I think here? this is a fair bet. I think it could go either way. So I think it's a fair bet. I don't think they'll do it in a year. I think it'll take longer than that. I think they'll eventually <laughs> do it, but I don't okay, think they'll do okay. it in a year. And I think someone else will definitely do it within a year. But if you say Apple uh, within a year, okay, I don't I'll, think whatever. I'll, I'll take the specific bet. I'll take the more specific hard to win bet. And let's say uh, the other person's got to buy a pizza dinner or something. I don't know. Oh, wow. Really high I mean, stakes like, here. That's like 80 bucks. Something that would never happen otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I have a couple things on this. Um, Hit me. Best practices. Yeah. I expected to see a little bit more uh, advice in here than the obvious stuff. Like, yeah, of course. It was don't like, put make ads them in. good. Yeah. Don't make them bad. Make mm-hmm. them good. Yeah. What I thought was really cool is at the very top, there's an illustration and it's a, a baseball score. And the dynamic island cutout is defined by a dashed outline. And the graphic for the on base display goes right up to it. Like, oh, pixel. yeah. It's like, that's what I was talking about with the watch stuff. It's like, because it's all black and you can't tell the difference between what's green and what's not. Take the pixels right up to the screen edge. You don't need any screen margin. Um, and sure enough, here's what they're doing. And that's what's keeping it looking balanced and not like super bottom weighted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really nice. Clever. Uh, Clever. That was one thing. Yeah. And the, yeah, I guess those dang decimals. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. Done with that. And on to our last topic. The big one. The hottest news of the day, Brian. Yeah. Uh, Adobe is acquiring Figma. We didn't do we didn't do an emergency pod when this news broke. No. But I remember I remember the morning it happened. Uh-huh. Uh woke up and I'm not gonna bullshit you, Marshall. The first thing I do when I wake up is I check Twitter. Wow. <laughs> so I, I opened Twitter and I think the news had broke like 30 minutes before. So like East oh, wow. Coast was going nuts. I think this was at like seven in the morning or six thirty or so when I woke up. And I thought it was a joke. It's like, come on, come on, there's no way. And then then I saw, I think Dylan tweeted it and Figma had written the blog post. It's like, holy shit, it's real. So first of all, the number, it's just like monopoly money big. The biggest private acquisition ever. I think the last one of this magnitude was maybe Facebook and WhatsApp, which was 19 billion. This one was 20 plus change. Yeah, um, huge. Huge. Uh, but just philosophically, it felt really surprising, right? Like Figma was always the antidote and to see them succumb. And so what we witnessed happen for that day and, and the subsequent, I would say two or three days, was just design Twitter losing their minds. And I don't mean that to say like people don't have a, a, a right to be upset or energized or enthusiastic about this. I just mean it was crazy. Like people were going nuts. People were like threatening Figma employees and just like oh my God. blatantly talking shit and dunking left and right. People like legitimately pissed off. Yeah, the dunking I expect, but the the threats. It was crazy. Like all the all the Figma design advocates, I, they they literally started tweeting again like four or five days later, and all of them were like, "Hey everyone, the last few days have sucked." Still processing, like, thanks for your patience. I'm like, I cannot imagine the DMs that these people must have gotten. Like, I just can't imagine. So anyways, we've now had some time to decompress. Mm -hmm. Reflect, absorb, reflect, pause, absorb. Or, more realistically, we have gone through 
the exact cycle of every social media drama ever, which is we get pissed for three days uh-huh. and then we forget to be mad because there's something else to be mad about. Yeah. We've moved on. It's a thing that's going to happen. So we've had some time to think about it. And I don't mean to minimize people who have been upset or, or anxious about this change. I know it, it does impact a lot of people, but I'm curious, Marshall, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen here? Are you optimistic for the future? Is this Was this a disappointing moment for you to hear about the acquisition? Yeah, any any sort of reactions or, or feelings that come to mind now that you've had a little bit of time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, my first thought was like, oh, no. <laughs> but... I, oh no! Well, and my second <laughs> thought was, dang, Adobe has a lot of money. Um, mm-hmm. That's a lot of money to drop on an acquisition and still have any company left over. You know, here's the thing: I'm sure there are good people working at Adobe that are really excited about this because they understand how important this is, right? And I'm sure there are people at Figma who are really excited about this because they understand how important it is and they're going to get a big fucking bag and good on them for it. (laughs) I hope so. Yeah. I hope some of those people, I mean, early employees Mm -hmm. are doing well. Yeah. So like those are kind of the first thoughts that went through my mind. It's like, oh no, this could be really bad. Hopefully they leave it alone and just like, it's just an acquisition, but Figma stays Figma, Adobe stays Adobe. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I've lived with it for a while. I think I've kind of landed on a you know, wait and see kind of a situation. Like I think a, a lot of the reason that people were upset just to outline it is a lot of us used to use Adobe products. We left for a reason. And a lot of us, and you know, unrelated to Adobe, have seen companies that we love get acquired by a larger company and then get dissolved and die within a year or something. And, and none of us want to see that happen to Figma. We actually really love the tool and the people who work at the company who make the tool that we love so much, right? So I, I'm going to wait and see. We'll see what Adobe does. Yeah, I, I haven't really paid much attention to it because it's like I have zero control over it. And also... I don't want to be too reactionary because like uh, worst case scenario, I have really great job security because we have to transition <laughs> to a new tool and who else is going to do it? You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, yeah, sure. uh, so, I mean, I'm not chuffed too badly. What were your thoughts? Um, I felt myself oscillating between, <laughs> I was like, you know, that Adobe, maybe they've changed. And then I reflected on the last time I used an Adobe product and I was like, God damn it, they're going to ruin it. Okay. I think the criticism against Adobe is so valid. Their pricing model, the way that they just squeeze their way into every little nook and cranny of your computer when you install anything. It's just so horrible to use. It's such a terrible experience. If I have to install an application to install an application, you've already lost. Right? Dude, you have to run scripts. You have to go into your fucking terminal to uninstall Adobe stuff because even if you run the Adobe Creative Cloud uninstaller, the tendrils there will so be deep. just remnant yeah. scripts running in your activity monitor. And if you force quit them, they will come unforce right quit themselves and come know. right on back. Yeah. Little zombie well, zombies. Yeah. So at this moment in time, I have zero Adobe software on my computer. I intend to keep it that way. And so for me, I was like, man, this company that has like so dropped the ball on consumer experience is now going to take control over the thing that has made designing a joy for the last several years. And so that made me nervous. On the other hand, the real way that I felt 
you actually touched on right before you handed the mic over to me, which was, I have no control over this. (laughs) So it doesn't matter what I think. Uh I don't think there's a single thing that I could say. I don't think that there's a thing that we could say to, to the audience who listens to the show, to the people who follow me on Twitter, that would change anybody's mind. I think people have made up their minds. And the powers that be that have determined that this acquisition is going to happen for the cool price of $20 billion certainly don't care what I think or uh-huh. what I think or what anybody else in the design community thinks, right? Yep. Like this, this is an existential purchase for mm-hmm. Adobe and it's going to happen. Yeah. So I, I, w- I thought about it for a little bit. I, I lurked in on a couple of the spaces that were happening on Twitter. There was a couple of spaces. I, I listened to the one the like official one with the Figma, uh, with Dylan and show and a bunch of other Figmates. I thought that the, the spaces were pretty bad, to be honest, but not because of anything that the Figma representative said. I actually thought that the design community did a bad job of asking questions, honestly. Like, I think what I noticed during those calls was people using it as a soapbox to like literally request features of Dylan. And I thought that was in poor taste. And I was That's like, oh my God. Not appropriate, yeah. So, uh, anyway, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll wrap up. I'm, I'm rambling. I, I found it to be just be like a confusing and frustrating experience. <laughs> well, Brian, I, I can tell that you are 30 now because, you know, realizing that you have no control over it and <laughs> ignoring it because it's only yeah. going to cause you worry and stress is a very 30s thing to do. So good on you, man. Yeah. But I, it feels like that attitude is just a one-way road to living life in sort of a numbed state where nothing matters because you can't change anything. Well, like, I mean... It, it's it's yeah. a state of having given up, which I don't know what that says about me or what it says about the state of software or just the state of like big tech acquisitions like this where the forces are so powerful that individuals truly like can't nudge things here unless maybe you're Kim Kardashian. Um, uh, yeah, but sure. everyone else, like you're, you're just shouting at a rock wall. So I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think in in one way it's healthy to feel this way. Like, hey, look, I know for sure nothing is going to change in the next year, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have a great time. I'm yeah. going to be using Figma right as rain for the next year. <laughs> uh-huh. Hopefully they keep making it better. They said they're going to keep sticking to the roadmap. I have high hopes. I have lots of feature requests. I've been talking to their team, asking for changes to the plugin APIs. Like, hopefully we just keep on trucking. But it's going to be years two, three, four, five. That's when we'll know. And at that point, it will have it will be too late to change anything, right? Like, if things start to go downhill in two years because of cultural or structural issues with how software is created and managed at Adobe, then nothing we can do can turn that around. Except, I guess, go try and build a new alternative, which is already happening, right? There's some, I think it was Penpot. There's someone trying to make an open source version of Figma. Well. Uh, a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts, Brian. <laughs> uh, don't cry because it's over. Be happy because we wait, it what, happened at all. Go? Yeah, yeah. It happened at all. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Figma, you were the light in our lives since I first encountered you in the year 2015. We got seven good years, hopefully eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to mention one remarkable thing, which is now being on this the side of a person trying to sell design tools to companies, it is hard to overstate how insanely good Figma just or how much they dominated this space. Like literally, I don't think they let people negotiate with them on like big enterprise deals because there's no alternative. 
there's no alternative. Doesn't Sketch have a lot of the same features now? No, dude. Once you have the community, the plugin ecosystem, the minds and hearts of the design world, like basically if all of the designers at your company are using the thing, you have no choice but to buy the thing. Um, Doesn't Apple use Sketch? They release like... Apple uses Sketch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, everybody else... Anyways, uh, Figma dominates what, looking at their, their revenue charts over time. It's really impressive. And also just as someone trying to build a company now, what I really admire about looking at their journey was how long they went before knowing if things were going to work. So I think they started working on this in 2011 or 2012, and they didn't start making money until 2015 or 2016. Wow. They just went years building foundational infrastructure technology without even knowing if it was going to be a business. And that you gotta respect. Like, it's crazy. Normal humans would not do that. Normal founders would not do that. VCs tell you not to do that. All advice says, do not spend four or five years of your life building a thing and not charging money for it and putting it in front of the market and validating it. And they did it. And in 2016, they turned on the, or whatever year, I think 2015, 2016, they turned on billing and the growth and penetration into teams and enterprises is unlike anything I've seen. It's just crazy. They're on track to make $450 million this year. So the $20 billion price tag, yeah, it's crazy. But it's not that crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Interesting topic. Yeah, interesting topic. We'll, I'm sure, have some follow-up pups as we learn more in the next year or two. So. Indeed. All right, Brian, uh, that was a long chat. Let's get into some cool... Th- or actually, no, we got some job boards, don't we? We have two jobs on the job beep, board beep, this dee. week. Beep, 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 beep. You want to do the first one? I shall. All right. Uh, first up, Glow is building the most elegant, powerful, and reliable crypto wallet. To do this, they need great designs, ones that are simple, familiar, and smart. The small team is growing, and you'll work closely with the team to craft new user experience patterns for interacting with crypto that will become the new normal for millions of people in the future. That's Glow. We also have Mercury. Mercury is hiring product designers. They power the banking stack for companies like Linear, Maven, and Mighty. Join them to build beautiful software for founders. Learn more about the remote-friendly team and roles at mercury.design. Disclaimer, Mercury is a financial technology company that works with banks. All right. All Marshall, right. Cool things. Okay, cool. My cool thing this week is a movie. It came out quite a while ago. It's been on my cool things list for a while, but it's, it's got bumped due to fingernails and Wordle or something. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, the movie is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Are you familiar with it? Have you seen it? I have seen it. Familiar with it. Okay. It, have you seen the other work from Daniels, uh, a Swiss Army Man? Uh, I have not seen Swiss Army Man. I'll know, I know that's on our list to watch together because you've recommended it. It is a very good movie. Or they also did a bunch of music videos, including the Turn Down for What music video, which is wow. wild. Uh, Interesting. It? Anyways, yeah, that's how they came up was, was doing music videos. And both of their names are Daniel, so they go by Daniels, plural. Not the Daniels, Daniels. Um, and Everything Everywhere All at Once is their newest film. It is, it's so good. I don't even know how to describe it. It's a huge movie, but at the core of it, it's just really about a woman's relationship with her family, especially with her daughter. And it's so well told, but it's also so fucking wild. It goes so broad and wacky that it's shocking to me that I 
it can make you cry. Like I cried like two or three times in the movie. I, cr- I cried at a scene. I don't want to spoil too much, but I cried at a scene where there was no one on screen. It was only two inanimate objects on screen with subtitles. And I'm fucking uh, crying yeah. in the, in the yeah. dark and the silence by myself. <laughs> um, yeah. It's that good of a fucking movie. Or, or, or that's what makes it a great movie to me is that it was able to pull that emotion on me, but just watch it. You'll, you'll understand. Um, it made me laugh, made me cry. It made me go, what the fuck was that? Uh, and then made me cry again. And then made me want to watch it again. So uh, check it out. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Outstanding movie. All right. My cool thing is also a movie. Um, very different. <laughs> yeah. This is a horror movie. It's called Barbarian. I only recommend this because I went in not knowing anything at all. I had no idea what to expect. I saw it in theaters with Effie. And went in not expecting anything. Within the first few minutes, you think the movie's going to be one thing. And then halfway in, you realize it is about something very, very different than what you expected. And so the movie was genuinely, I thought, pretty scary. <laughs> like there was some fucking jumpy ass moments and like really tense, uncomfortable scenes. So like for people who are horror fans, I don't know if it's like the best horror, but it's like, it's like I, I would call it like pop horror, right? It's entertaining horror, right? You feel uncomfortable and icky, but then you kind of you can laugh at the same time. You're like, this movie's fucking buck wild. Uh huh. Okay. So that's Barbarian. I don't know if you would like to watch it, Marshall. I feel like you made it through Hereditary. You made it through Midsommar, um, and I know you like prepped yourself for those by <laughs> watching YouTube reactions. Yeah, yeah. I think you could get through this the same way if you like watch some reaction videos and like kind of dipped your toes in before going full stop. But if you wanted to wait and watch this together, I would definitely watch it again. It's weird. It's a weird, weird horror movie. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll do some research. Cool. All right. Well, let's get out of here. It's been episode 448 of the Design Details Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter as always at Design Details FM. We're also on Patreon. You can support us there for just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. And get access to bonus content. The show doesn't have to end here. You can head over to patreon.com slash design details. Sign up. You can get access to the sidebar. It is our extra episode every time we release new episodes. This week, we're going to talk about the iPhone 14 Pro, our review of the device and the new Dynamic Island. Now that we've had a couple of weeks to sit with it, and then Marshall's going to give us a quick update on AirPods Pro 2. So if you want to hear device talk and dynamic island talk that's going to be over in the sidebar but of course if you subscribe you're going to get access to the backlog and all future bonus content going forward so once again that's patreon.com slash design details thank you to everyone who's supporting the show welcome to all the new very important pixels this week and that's it we'll catch you next time bye This is so complicated, man. Why'd you have to go and make things so complicated? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I forget the next line of the song. (laughs) Me too. I only know that one. (laughs)